Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to my, their elders past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Akairangi where I'm recording today. Happy weekend. It's my long weekend, whoop, whoop. so I get my Monday. Well, I don't really get a Monday off, but I'm excited about not having to do school on Monday. How was your yeah, that's long nice. weekend last week? It was lovely. Oh. The weather was terrible, but yeah, it was just nice. I got some stuff done. Nothing that I was supposed to get done, but you know, whatever. <laughs> we do what we do. We make the most of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's about being flexible. When life crops up, adapt, you know, that's the, that's yeah. the key. What sparked joy for you this week? Oh, for me, I actually, it's kind of a strange thing. I managed to like get a bunch of stuff done that I really needed to do. So I had these big dirt piles in my nature strip verge. I had this dirt and it's just been sitting there for months. And I've like one wheelbarrow full at a time, but I finally got it all Aww. moved on Thursday. I was just like, I'm just going to take some Advil and do it in one day. And like, that's how I got through it. <laughs> I did wow. it. Um, and I also planted out like 15 camellias so I can have my wall of green against a fence between us and our neighbor. And like they're lovely neighbors, but I just don't want to see their house anymore. So camellias seem better. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I felt really good to get like these two things that had been sitting there on my to do list, like making me really anxious. So there's a lot of relief and like <sighs> the dirt is all moved and the camellias are planted and like I can just let mm. nature do its thing. <laughs> Awesome. So what about you? What sparked joy for you this week? I got a haircut today. So it's a fun haircut. I wanted to get it last time, actually, but I thought I'd wait until before I went away. And so the last haircut I had, we sort of cut it with pre in preparation for this mm. one. And so today it was just really fun because, yeah, I had to shave the sides. And so my hairdresser was doing that. And I'm like, instant regret because I'm going to have to grow <laughs> this out at some point. And he's like, well, maybe not. And I'm like, maybe not. So who knows? But it looks very cool, and I'm very happy with it. It looks amazing. It is such a great haircut for you. But you have a great face for all of your haircuts. I don't like. I don't think I've ever seen you with a bad haircut. <laughs> I think I just have good hair. Or well, that's what he would say. You do have good hair. You have great hair. Um, people should be envious of your hair. I certainly am. Yeah, good coverage. He says my hairdresser says like all over my head, even coverage, mm -hmm. medium texture. There's a lot of it. It's dead straight. You've got it all. You don't have my in-between, so fine it tangles, just too much for any sense, nonsense going on. I mean, I love my hair, but also when you tell people that you have a lot of it and they look at it, they're like, no. And then they get in there and they're like, oh my gosh, we should have booked a double. And I'm like, I said you should have booked a double. But like, it's always a saga. Um, So yeah, you, you have great hair. I love your haircut. It looks amazing. And I'm so excited that you Thank get to have you. cool hair when you go away. It's like the best feeling. You're like super snazzy and like ready to travel. I know I've done all the body prep, which seems silly, but I've just done all the things. Like all week I've been doing things. I had my eyebrows done yesterday. I had them mm. hennaed. See? Look, oh. look, 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 look. <gasps> oh, they're so pretty. Observed them. So that's great. I've never done that before. That was a great yeah, time. Yeah, is that what people are doing these days? Do they henna their eyebrows? Don't know. My housemate did it and I was like, yes, I want to get involved with this. So I went <laughs> and had it done. Secret and women's then... tricks. Yeah, tomorrow I'm getting some acupuncture and some cupping before I get on a plane huh. for a bazillion, bazillion hours. So oh my, gosh. my body will be ready. <laughs> it will be ready. 
I'm so excited for your trip. I'm sad that I can't be like in Scotland with you, but I'm excited that you get to go. Yeah, would have been amazing. But, you know, next year. We can go next year together. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe I'll even manage to get a ticket. (laughs) It was already full by the time, like, it would have been open for us mere mortals. Oh, well. Well, um, this week we're reading chapters 48 through the epilogue, through the theme of Discovery, and we're wrapping up the book. Uh, But first, I was wondering if you have a story in the theme of Discovery for us. Sort of, yes. (laughs) So I was looking at the definition of discovery right and there's sort of two definitions for it you've got the general one which is like the act action or process of discovering or being discovered so mm-hmm. you know discovery in that sense is like finding or unearthing or uncovering so you know you discover a secret or you discover a body or you discover a cure for something right yeah so there's that but then in the law you've got this kind of compulsory disclosure which is when one party has to reveal important testimony or documents to the other party, right? And there's like four key actions in that. You can do like interrogations, requests for documents, requests for admissions and depositions. And that's usually in legal dramas when, you know, you get buried in documentation when you do discovery, right? Because the opposition will just give you so much information that it's hard to find anything actually useful. But the whole point of discovery in that sense is that both parties know before the trial begins what evidence may be presented so you're not like caught off guard and you don't have anything to like counter with. So I was thinking about this because as you know I'm writing my first novel at the moment and I Mm. think writing in a lot of ways is both of these things. Like you Mm. in the process of writing you are discovering a lot of stuff. You are discovering story, you're discovering character but you're also discovering things about yourself I think as you write. Maybe things that you didn't anticipate to come out but also in a way there is a disclosure that happens from the character to you which sounds weird because they're your little goblins that you made up that live in your head but sometimes they do things and you're like oh okay I didn't think didn't think that was you but here we are Mm. so let's go with it and you discover yeah so I was thinking about writing as a fact that you discover something about yourself you find it out for yourself but it's also something that is revealed to you through the process of doing the thing Mm. so discovery becomes this multifaceted exploration of truth of meaning of self of identity and I think keeping that in mind it was really interesting to read this section because I think there's a lot of that of people discovering things what they thought was true but also about themselves and their friends right yeah for sure yeah I love the idea of treating writing as of both kinds of discovery and I know exactly what you mean because sometimes you get started and you're like this is my little character and this is what they'll do and then you throw a curveball at them and they're like haha psych I'm gonna do something completely unexpected and you're like wait what where does this take me it can be very stressful yeah and it it does seem a bit unhinged because you're the one writing them but in the act of writing Mm. you are uncovering things like Mm -hmm. often the story doesn't go the way that you thought it was gonna go yeah 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 for sure I've um I've been I'd sent you that thing from Lisa Crohn right and I've I've been rereading the story genius lately just because I wanted to touch base with some of the like concepts and one of the best bits of advice is like you have to know the point you have to know the internal struggle is the story how this changes your protagonist is the whole point like that's why we read we want to figure out for ourselves why what we can do if something unexpected in our own life happens so in a way Mm. writing is this like window into a world where we can like suppose and hypothesize fairly safely and reading does that for us too that's why even though we have like jobs and lives we still get sucked into tv and books and 
um, a good yarn, you know, we want to know what happens because we want to know what we would do. We have, we're always in conversation with our own fate and our own choices. Yeah. And I kind of love that. Yeah, same. We're just such narrative driven creatures. This is why we do what we do because we got to make meaning out of life. And this is such a good way to do it is to like sit down with a book together and just chat to each other. <laughs> Say, what did and you yeah, get? Find those little threads that make it matter. You know, it's mm. delightful. Okay. I love that. Um, should I do our chapter summaries? Yes, please. Okay, so Ronan and Blue discover a lake that is also a mirror, which means that Ronan can't traverse it, but Blue can using her mirror magic. Ronan gives her his ghost light and sends her on to find her mother while he waits in the dark. Blue finds her mom and Artemis and leads them almost out of the third sleeper's lair before Piper, one of her minions, and Mr. Grey, who is tied up, appear as well. Piper agrees to let Blue, Mora, and Artemis go, but not Mr. Grey, so Blue hugs him goodbye, sneakily cutting mm -hmm. his bound hands with her handy pink switchblade, and a fight ensues. They manage to get free as the cave collapses around them, trapping Piper and her minion underground. Mallory decides that he's had enough of Gansey's exciting ley line and heads home. Adam has never felt more awake, but in the lair of the third sleeper, Nave appears and convinces Piper to open the tomb. Piper, in classic Piper green mantle fashion, um, accepts the help, but then steals the favor. Yeah, good old Piper. Hey? Oh, she's... Piper's gonna Piper. <laughs> I just kept thinking of how you called her Evil Elle Woods, and I'm like, this is like her entire <laughs> vibe. She's like, if Barbie went rogue, it's great. <laughs> yeah. What? Like it's hard? Exactly. <laughs> Summon a demon? Wake them up? <laughs> what? Like it's hard? Oh, and like she's lying there with a concussion, and she's like, oh, how many people in Hollywood go around hitting other people because of stupid movies and like everyone's brain damaged now and she's like actually angry about this and then she's like and stupid Colin left me here I just love her she's horrible I do love I love that bit where she's also thinking you know oh yeah the hero will like knock someone unconscious rather than shoot them because that's the moral high ground but you're actually doing more damage to them I'm like that's a good point Piper that's a great point <laughs> yeah and she's I, I think one of the things that we discover about Piper, she really doesn't do anything unless it's for herself. So she wants to let Mora and Artemis and Blue go because it will make her feel better about herself. Yeah. Like, not because she cares about them as people. No. Also, that whole thing, that internal monologue we just talked about, where she goes, mm. oh, yeah, they don't shoot the... The good guys don't shoot the, the bad guys. They let them go. They just knock them unconscious. I just realized there's a good mirror to Colin Greenmantle's thoughts in the last section, right? Mm. Where he had this feeling as well, where he's like, Jesse Ditley should just have shot me because he took the moral high ground now. I've got his gun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think that they're a good match for many reasons, and not least because they both have the same, like, moral, uh, or lack of moral compass, I guess. And she gets grumpy at Colin, and she's like, oh, he left me here, and it was his idea. I'm like, what's going- the cave- going into the cave was not his idea, Piper. No, he wants to hire people to do that for him. He would not go in there. No. No. But I think she needs to blame someone because, of course, it can't be her fault that it didn't work out perfectly. No, of course, yeah. So, in terms of discovery, lots of literal discovery in this section. Like yeah. Discovering a cave, discovering more and Artemis. Like, Blue discovers her father. Yeah, and he she discovers, discovers the grey man and Piper. <laughs> yeah, she her father discovers that he is a father, which is like a huge discovery. And I love how. Uh, can we talk about Blue's just like complete and utter lack of patience to like baby him through this moment? <laughs> Because it is one of my favorite things where she's just like, are you kidding me? You're still stuck on this? <laughs> you know? I thought that was such a great Gansey vibe when she's like, good God, man. Yes. <laughs> you yes. sound like Gansey. <laughs> I mean, 
it's not great when the first time that you see your father, your birth father, you say, oh, no, dude. And you pull a switchblade on him. Like, that's that's kind of a rough start to any relationship. But fair enough, he was being seduced by this demon thing behind the red door. So we can give her a pass for that. But I love how she's, like, telling him stuff. And he's like, that's impossible. That can't be true. Yeah, she's like, yeah. fine, whatever. Okay, yeah. it's impossible. Can we go now? Like, we have to leave. Let's go. I love her sassiness at his know-it-allness. Like, mm. yeah, I... It's nothing, there's nothing more infuriating when someone tells you that something isn't true or can't be done when you have literally just done it or witnessed it and you're like, okay, tell me more about how this is impossible because <laughs> I was there and you were not. <laughs> yes. Um, at one point, my computer was booting from the backup and I was telling my husband, it's booting from the backup. And he goes, that's not possible. And then he came over and he's like, Jen, your computer's booting from the backup. And I was just like, thank you. What did I just say? Or when I had a massive fight with one of my friends who was telling me that sexism wasn't a real thing. Oh, and I no. was like, mm, oh, mm. No. it's yeah. worse when it's a friend who's like just been so sheltered and privileged and is also willing to like play the like boys will be boys game with boys and you're just like uh-uh 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 well in this case i think he was just like well i'm not sexist so therefore sexism isn't a thing i'm yeah. like um <laughs> but we're not talking about it works you. like that yeah. we're talking about the systemic top-down oppression like it's it's bigger than just one person bigger than just one dude and I just remember st- like we were in a pub and I was just like, okay, so all these things that have happened to me and I just listed them. I'm like, you just think that none of that is real or valid or sexism. And he was like, oh, I'm just saying it's, I don't think it's a big a- as big a deal as people say it is. And I just walked out of the pub and we, I didn't talk to him for about a week because I was just like, yeah. nah. Yeah. And everyone was like, Jen, you need to make nice with him. It's not, it feels really bad. I'm like, this is not Good. on me. He should feel he- bad. Like that is, look, I think sometimes you have to sit in your own discomfort when you've messed up like that like you have to feel bad so you can understand that like your friend isn't going to just forgive you for being an idiot yeah and like devaluing someone's real life experience right like the way that Artemis to her is like well mirror mirror marriage that's not possible and she's Mm. like cool because this is a discovery she's just made of herself and she's literally put it into action in this moment and I love that you know this discovery of self right yeah. Like, this is a, a real defense thing for her because on page 365, she, you know, she says, as the horror rose, she suddenly remembered Gwenpleen's lesson about mirrors. So, this was a real defense. She's like, yeah. oh, this can't hurt me because I'm a mirror, right? Mirror magic is nothing to mirrors. Yeah. And then she just uses it to turn off the, the devil trying to get into her brain. And she uses it to, like, get her mom out of there and. I love how much she's able to just incorporate this new information about herself, this discovery about herself, as you put it, and into a plan of action. It's fantastic. Mm. Mm. Um, I would like to talk about Ronan and Blue a little bit here, because this is one of th- this scene is probably the other scene that makes me love this book the best of all of them, where Ronan and Blue are alone in this in this lake mm. by this lake, and he holds her back, and they're both crying, and she's just like trying to come to terms with this mirror lake being a lie and and he's seeing his father and you don't get his perspective on this you only see that later when they're finally okay like he pulls away from her and then Mm. she sees him flick a tear away like that that's what you get from ronan being like just as disrupted but he has seen that the lake will eat her or them and he knows that the lake is a lie so he has he's made that discovery before blue has and he's able to kind of like hold her back and keep her present and where she needs to be and that is just so beautiful and I have so many feelings about it 
Ugh. I love it. And I love, I love the description as well, you know, on page 364 that mm. for a moment they remained that way. Ronan holding her as tightly as he would his brother Matthew, Matthew. his cheek on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like this, this real sign that they are family, right? Yeah. They're, they're connected. Yeah. 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 That is a beautiful moment of connection. Absolutely. Also, what I love about that, the lake is a lie bit that he says, you know, it's because he says, and Adam saw your mother further in this godforsaken cave. Ronan has this trust in Adam and in caves water that mm-hmm. that is the truth, not the, what this lake is showing you. Because yeah. the lake is not of cave water, so therefore it cannot be trusted. You know? Yeah, it's beneath it. This is something else. This belongs to something else. He knows in his bones that it's not caves waters. Yeah. And then he just sits there with his arms wrapped around his knees, waiting for the darkness to take him, which to me is such a, it's one, a very lonesome image but also just based on the dreams the nightmares that Ronan has which often involve just darkness and horrible things for him to just sit there let her have the light you know what connection what trust what love it is really beautiful I I feel like this is the first time that we really see Blue just able to take Ronan's care and love for her for granted in a way that she never has before because even the first time they were in this cave and he's like holding on to her she's like I can't let myself forget this like she's like I gotta remember this but here as soon as she establishes like hey Ronan is that you and he goes yes maggot she's like okay it's Ronan like she believes it and then she trusts that he cares that much for her and it's just it just gets me it hurts me that he doesn't have to say it and she doesn't have to ask him to say it but they have this understanding now yeah I do think it's a it's a discovery from her right like she's Mm -hmm. discovering a new depth to Ronan I think she thought it was there but this is proof of it yeah and the way that he gives her the light and she's like she doesn't ask him but do you know that you'll be left in the dark and like what happens if the lake does eat me like she knows that he's already thought about it and he gives her his ghost light anyway and just I'm sorry I'm a little incoherent because it's so many feelings (laughs) (sighs) yeah I think Ronan's generosity is really underplayed in a lot of ways and he himself under undervalues that he like obfuscates that generosity of spirit himself like when he does the thing for adam and the rent and the way that he is happy to get into a scrap to save adam like he just does these things and he he does them with a lot of consideration like he gives the ghost light to blue knowing that he'll be left in the dark and then she says you're not so terrible and he's like oh but i really am um, like he's he's really tr- trying hard to maintain this campaign of like big tough rude guy, but um he's actually kind of nice. He's actually a sweetheart. Like, I see it. Don't tell anyone. I totally okay, relate to be- Ronan. Like don't tell anyone. This is like legit. The other day I did something nice for someone. I'm like don't tell anyone I did this. I, you cannot <laughs> tell anyone. And I'm I don't want it getting out. I'm like all the nice things for people, but when I say mean things, I'm like, don't say to anyone that I said this mean thing to you. Don't let anyone know that I'm mean. (laughs) So we discover Neve is still alive as readers. We're like, ah, Neve discovery. And then we discover the third sleeper is not human, which is gross. Yeah, that is really gross. I did think that that was an interesting discovery because even Piper's like, oh, I expected it to be human, but it's not human. Then she thinks, why did I expect it to be human? But she didn't even think that Blue and more and Artemis were human, so I mean, what what is her standard for humanity anyway, really? Well, what, I think when you've been plagued by visions and stuff, as she has, you yeah. know, she's been seeing things in the mirror and whatever, then, and even Blue, right? Like, she doubts that Ronan is Ronan because they've mm. been around all this magic, so how can you trust that anyone is what you think they are? 
Yeah, this is true. I, I feel like they're both discovering, I think feel like everyone's discovering that magic has this real hard, like, wrongness, this badness to it, that there is magic that is out, out there, that is out to hurt them. And that's why Ronan is like, F this every time he, like, he's trying to deal with the mirror cave and he's like, forget that, F this, I don't want to deal with it. Like, I get it. I'm... F magic, yeah. Yes, he's <laughs> done. He's, he's absolutely done with it because it's not this sense of wonder, which is what blue and gansey approach it with but it's actually for him it's like now a lived thing it's not just in his dreams it's like this lake is right here and it's real and it will eat me if i put my foot in it like he has to contend yeah, with he's... the reality and darkness yeah. because i think when you don't have experience right often you view things through this kind of magical like wondrous lens as you said like mm. blue and gansey they make they, they bring this awe to it but for adam and ronan who have lived with the ugly side of it it's harder to find that awe because reality is that's not real you know like that's not yeah. the whole picture yeah and i think the real challenge in life is because life is often ugly and hard the real challenge we all face is finding the moments that make things wonderful that give us that all because otherwise it's yeah. too easy to just see everything as horrible and dark all of the time yeah and just calling back to when adam sort of realizes he doesn't actually want gansey to lose that wonder he doesn't want him to see the world as it is he wants him to keep seeing the world mm. as this wondrous place i think we understand that blue is making a decision here that no matter what she discovers she's going to keep trying for right i guess that's how i sort of felt that's how i landed in this chapter this section um because she's making decisions that she has to make which are horrible like she has to stab morris the minion and she feels bad about it but less bad than when she stabbed adam um, but then when the cave collapses and on Piper, she can't stop thinking about how awful that is, even though Piper was just trying to kill her mother. Like, she continues to be human and think about the humanity of things, and this is a choice she makes. Like, she chooses to live in that wonder. And I think there's something really compelling about her not losing her humanity, even though she's just sort of discovered all of this awfulness. Yeah, and speaking of Adam, I think, mm. you know, he has a discovery in a sense here, like, one, he's got this whole thing where he feels awake for the first time in a very long time. But I think he's discovered the, how much his priorities have changed, right? Yeah. Like he realizes that actually all these things I wanted to ask for Cave Water, I don't need that. I'm going to get through Aglenby myself. Hmm. I'm going to get a scholarship. All these things. Like I'm, it's, I'm fine, basically. Yeah. His priorities are so changed. And I think often that is something that we discover. Like we discover as we go through life, as we move to a new place, we might find out that the plan we had for ourselves doesn't fit the current version of who we are we have yeah, outgrown it that is for sure true i love that he's interrogating this right like i love that he's thinking yeah. about it and turning it over and deciding what he really wants to do and how he wants to change i love that he thinks of himself as the third sleeper mm. do you think he's right yeah i don't know i mean i i i okay so we know that glendower is not alive we know that he's not asleep we know that he's dead so there still are three sleepers, right? There's the sleeping one. There's one you should wake, one you shouldn't wake, and one in between. So I think that Adam could be in the running. But I also mm. wonder if it's Ronan. Or maybe it's the ley line. Maybe the ley line was sleeping. Maybe there's an, a third unknown option. It's just someone still in the mountain. I kind of want to talk about the gray man making peace with his fate. Um, mm. And I don't... I, I, I want to ask you, do you think that he actually is saying this as his like swan song or is he saying this to give a little clue to blue about being a hero like what do you think what's your take on this 
I think it's just him, like, he's very content with his lot in life. He's always been that Mm. way. He's always been like, this is the life I lead. This is the way that it goes. He connects his own dots in a lot of ways. Like, he is just a very, yeah. For you know, he's actually just a really chill dude. So uh, to me, I think this was him just being like, just go. This is not your fight. This is not your battle. He knows what Piper's like as well. He has information that she doesn't have. Yeah. This is true. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> she's still mad about him holding a gun to her head in the kitchen <laughs> like Piper is still holding a grudge about that she's like and if you mean earned it by holding a gun to my head in my own kitchen then yes you have earned this death thank you like she's real salty about it evil Elle Woods does not stand for this the person she should be annoyed about with that whole situation is Colin it's Colin's fault it absolutely is yeah but it's you know it's hard for her to take responsibility for her own actions. This is a thing. Like, if it works out, then it was her idea. And, of course, it was brilliant. And if it doesn't benefit her, then it was someone else's idea. And they messed it up. Which is why she's blaming Colin for the cave collapse. Even though he was like, I'm leaving. I'm not being any part of this. Yeah. Like, she just can't actually say, I did this and I messed up. It's always going to be someone else's fault. Because she's never had to live with it. Yeah, and she has that line where she's like, oh, he's always doing things just for himself. I'm like, one, he told you that when you got married he was like yeah. I'm always going to put myself first but two you are the same uh-huh. <laughs> so the hypocrisy yeah I mean that's why they work and also why they don't work because they're both going to pick themselves first and that mm. is just not how it works in any relationship there's always going to be a point where you're like I think in any good marriage or any good partnership there's always going to be a point where like somebody's a little bit more in love and then the other person switches and they're a little bit more like you always have to kind of do this give and take where you like have to be more for the other person and then they they end up being more for you like that's just how we work in cycles and like a good partnership will sort of take that into account like you step up to help people out in your life that need it right and Mm. she just is like well this is not directly benefiting me and you're not doing what I want you to do like you need to do that. And that's his, his view as well. Is like, but I need you to do things that benefit me. Yeah. It's not healthy, basically. Some, no, summing that they're, up. <laughs> they're a very terrifying couple and I'm not, I'm not really a fan, but I, I get their dynamic. I enjoy their dynamic. I think they're very weird, but I wouldn't want to know them. It's very amusing. Yeah. 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 They're funny. <laughs> like yeah. almost all my tangential is just lolling at Piper's little comments. Um, I think I want to talk a little bit about Artemis and his connection. So, okay, do you think he's been under the ground in that cave the whole time? Do you think that's where he went? Yeah. That's just, he's just been sitting there for like 17 years? Yeah, I reckon. That's bleak. It is bleak. Okay. I love that Blue makes the connection there, though, and it's kind of the connection between Blue, Mora, and Artemis is all through physical resemblance. You know, yeah. she says, you know, his mouth and eyes were... The- the ones she had been seen looking back in the mirror her entire life. Like, she's so quick. And it's the physicality that connects them. And then she's mad that she's not taller. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've got a granny who's 5'10", and I'm always like, come on, how come I got your feet but not anything else? I just want the height, you know? I love that she describes him as willowy as well, because, you know, he's He's a a tree. tree. (laughs) That's great. Um... I, I really love that he's, like, thinking about whether or not Mora could have a child. Like, he has to consider it. He has to consider whether or not it's possible. And then she's, like, so annoyed that he's still talking about it that 
she's like, look at your face. Look at mine. Who else do I look like? You maybe? Just have a think about that. You know what? Never mind. I don't need your help. I'm going to solve this problem myself. She's like so annoyed at having to baby this grown man through this like discovery. And she's like, no, we have a problem to solve. Let's work on that. That's an interesting read on it, though, if you think about him being underground for 17 years. Maybe he doesn't know it's been 17 years, and therefore that's the shock of it as well. He's like, this cannot think possibly so. yeah, be related to me. Yeah, because <laughs> Maura in the beginning was talking about how time isn't the same. She didn't know how long she'd been underground. Like, yeah, what were all the postscripts? Like, if I look in danger of missing Blue's graduation, send help. Like, she doesn't know how long it's been. Yeah. And she also can't leave. That would be terrifying. And Piper also doesn't know how long she's been mm. unconscious at the end there, right? Like, she's drifting in and out of consciousness. She doesn't know how long it's been. Like, obviously, the third sleeper messes with time. Time is a circle, etc., etc. So what is the hypothesis, do you think, for Neve not showing up until then? Because if Artemis and Mora were waiting for a full, like, three months or whatever, why did she wait? I just thought that it was just the mirror magic in the sense that she just, it's like a teleport. So oh, she yeah. just appeared, but she doesn't, you know, you're just drifting through nowhere. It's like, it reminds me of Thor when Loki is falling through Doctor Strange's portal. And he's like, yeah, I yeah. have been falling for however many hours or minutes or whatever it is. I've that's what I feel like Neve's been, yeah, that's what I feel like Neve's been doing. Okay. Okay. I buy that. Because I was like, if she had, I think she could have talked more and Artemis into it before. Like, I think if she'd been like hanging around. Because she's been well and truly disappeared for, like, the last two books, so. Yeah. Okay, that was my question. I was like, where has she been and, like, what is going on? Or maybe it was Blue turning up and walking through the lake that, like, unmirrored her. Yeah, like a trigger. Mm. Another mirror that bounced her out. Like, maybe you just, you're caught between them, but you can't exit unless there's another mirror, you know? Like, yeah. to bounce you out, like, light. Yeah. I'm doing weird okay. hand signals. <laughs> yeah. I get what you mean. Uh, like they're very good flippers. hand signals. <laughs> Yeah, they're flippers. They, you know what? They look like the pinball. Yeah, pinball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just note that Discover actually appears in this section, in the text. Oh, Page yeah? 385. Everyone had been surprised to discover Persephone had a last name. Yeah. It does seem very strange that she has something as mortal as a last name. I know. She's way too wispy for that sort of thing yeah i mean my working theory this is my this is my version of the rana's dumbledore theory was that opal was persephone and persephone was opal that was yeah my i like that theory. too yeah that opal that was too. just out of time because they're very similar right the dark eyes and like the masses of white hair and we already know that time is a circle and but also the way when yeah she's teaching adam about caves water right now she appears to him it's just big opal vibes. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that was my working theory was that the orphan girl is is Persephone. But I kind of like the I like the the symmetry that Gwen Clean is going to be at three hundred Foxway. And I like that Persephone had been preparing for her. Like it seems very lovely and very generous and like sort of in line with this what's it, the the Swedish concept of a good death where you like prepare your house and you get everything you give away all of your stuff like you're ready for it when it happens there's something about that that Persephone was already doing like in that discussion with Adam where she was basically saying like I can see my death and it was like actually happening but she was having this discussion with Adam and sort of like you can tell when yours is too and he's like oh what oh my gosh and he kind of can see it out of the corner of his eye it's really beautiful that she's already thought all of this stuff through. Not so great that she didn't, like, communicate it, but she had already sort of put everything into place that needed to be put into place. 
Yeah, I mean, I kind of, you can read that two ways, right? Because I think that your death is a personal thing. So why should she communicate it to other people? Like, yes, it's left people Mm. with grief and what have you. But I think how you choose to go, when you choose to go. If you choose, When it's your time. Yeah, if it's your time, you know, why do you owe that to other people? I guess having been on the side of it where... I've, I've experienced like the sudden death where you have to deal with all of the things and then the one where we had more time and you could sort of do it in little bits and bobs before the actual death. The second one was easier for everybody because it didn't feel like we were swimming through this hmm. sea of garbage in order to get through the tasks that needed doing like the house cleaning out or like the, the bills all canceled. Like we had had time to do that before. But the first time it was just like an awful shock. And so I think for myself, I would want, like, I think if I were, I'd go more the Persephone route of like just making sure it was easier for everybody. But I don't know if I would. No, I think I would share because I think I would want to tell the people that I love that I love them and give them a chance to tell me. That's what I would do. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree that from the other side of it, it's easier when you have more time. Like it's Mm. never, it's always hard, but it's easier when you have more time with someone. But... Mm. I think, just to throw a spanner in the works, (laughs) I think that is putting the wrong lens on it because now you're asking, what do you owe other people? And when it comes to something as personal as your death, why? That's about you. That's about you making peace with your end, your mortality, your end Mm. of the road. That does not necessarily have to... You shouldn't have to consider other people's feelings in that. I mean, sure, that's true. But it's also kind of like living. We don't have to consider other people's feelings. But like the people we love, I think we're going to consider and care for them, even though we don't have to. Do you know what I mean? I think it's like, is this yeah. something you're capable mm. of doing? I don't, it's like, I don't know, laying out my kids' clothes before I, before I the night before, you know? Like that's something I do for them that way that they've got an easier path. Sure. I think that's fine if that's a decision that you've made, but I don't think it's an assumption that you can make that yeah. everyone would feel that way. Like, and we shouldn't do things because we think we should. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that a lot of people end up in situations emotionally with their families when they think they should behave in a certain way when sometimes that is not what you like. Yeah. I mean, we live in a society to quote yeah. George Costanza. Yeah, yeah. We live in a society, <laughs> but I also think that sometimes it's okay to put yourself first. And I think this is one Absolutely. of those situations where you got to do what's right by you. It's very complicated yeah. being yeah, alive. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and maybe it's two different things. Maybe I'm thinking of like the personal is completely separate how you process it how you deal with it but then like the practical stuff maybe that's i'm thinking more along the lines of like i don't know that i would burden my family with the way i feel about if i knew my death was coming or if i were terminally ill i don't know that i would tell them about that but i i think i would work on the practical stuff to make like that process easier Mm. but i think i would still be very personal about like the actual end if i knew i think that's how i so i I think i i see where you're coming from and i agree on that score but you know me i love to get stuff done i would just have to (laughs) I'd be the queen of estate planning. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't, yeah. It's obviously a horrible, horrible thing. Yeah. But. So this is a really gloomy way to talk about <laughs> discovery. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Well, it is quite sad. I mean, it is quite an intense section in any way, so. Yeah, there's a lot of death going on here. So we've lost Jesse Ditley in the last section. Uh, the thug henchman has been killed. Morris. Morris is about to die. I, he was trying to kill the gray man, so I'm not too fond of Morris. He can, uh... And he also suggested to, like, shoot Blue and Mora and Artemis, which just wasn't very nice. Yeah. Also, and just thinking the... about 
sorry, just thinking about this chat we just had about like connection, what we owe each other. And I love that mm. Blue has that moment in this where there is a real connection where she goes, you know, she wished for the presence of the boys and she talks about it yeah. and how there had always been a hand to catch her and she never ne- needed to be truly afraid before. And yeah. I think that's such a beautiful moment of showing that our support systems is really what tether us to the world. Yeah, yeah. I think I picked that as my in-depth because I loved it so much. Perfect. Um, Yes, I did. Yeah. That's very, like, on brand for me, though, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think my favorite discovery in this whole section is actually that Adam realizes the only favor he needs is to ask for Gansey's life. Mm. Like, that that shows how much growth Adam has experienced in the last year and how much his priorities have changed. And it's like a discovery for him to realize that He's going to survive and get through everything. And the only thing he really wants to make sure is that Gansey also survives. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I had for connection and for discovery. How about you? Yeah, the only other thing was the grief that connects Ronan and Blue. Again, we see that as a connecting point. But yeah, otherwise, all good. Did you have tangential? I do. I have a couple that I really loved. Um. So we already talked about the image of Ronan already waiting for the darkness to take him. I felt like that was such a good lead into the Dreamer trilogy where he deals with Mm, a lot of darker mm -hmm, stuff. mm -hmm. I was like, the Night Wash is coming and like this Dreamer sleep that he starts out at the beginning of the third. Like it's it's happening. It's going to be so dark. And it just makes me, after we finish up the Raven King, I can't wait to like reread the whole thing again and just like marinate in my feelings. Um... (laughs) I just really love Piper. So rude. So funny. Go be short somewhere else. Like, she's so mean. And, like, she's like, are you a person? To Blue and Blue's like, of course I'm a person. She gets so indignant. I also um, love when she's like, you want to hug him? What a zoo. Fine. Like, of all the things. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> And the tender moment that she interrupts when, you know, Mr. Gray is reciting the poem. And she says, it sounds like cat puke. Like, it's just... Let them have their moment, okay? Just <laughs> calm down. Um, I also just love that Mallory seems like the kind of guy who super needs a vacation from his vacation. Like, he's like, right, I'm going home and I am going to rest and recover from this sojourn to the colonies. Like, I, I got to get out of here. This is too much. It's nuts. And to be fair, every time I go on vacation, I come home and I'm like, my bed, my pillow, my quietness. Yes. So I completely feel you there. Also, the man just wants a nice cup of tea. Oh, he's been suffering for a month, at least. Suffering. Um, yeah, I think that's it for a tangential. Yeah, I covered all mine already, except the one that I love is just like, get wrecked, Neve, when Piper reaches out and just touches the sleeper and is like, wake up. Like, Neve is <laughs> going to this big spiel about, like, it would be so sad to be a queen alone and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Piper's like, yeah. get wrecked. Yeah, yeah, she gets, like, I love that Neve is yet again gazumped. Like, she does not get to have anything ever because she's too greedy. And, like, we do see that it destroys Piper in the end. But, like, I love that Neve can't even be greedy successfully one time. Just does not work. <laughs> Amazing. Great. Oh, well, do you have an in-depth marginalia? I sure do. So mine is on page 367 and it's right at the bit where Ronan is giving Blue his little ghost light and she's going to go off and leave him sitting in the dark and the the section is, it's quite a long one, but anyway. She didn't bother to say, but you'll be waiting in darkness, nor did she say, if I vanish immediately into the lake, you'll have to find your way out of here sightless because he'd already known both these things when he'd given it to her. 
Instead, she said, you know you're not such a... Sh- Can I say that on this podcast? I don't know. Um, I said, not so bad. That was how I... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Instead, she said, you know you're not so bad. No, Ronan replied, really, I am. So, <laughs> themes of discovery, I think, because like I said before, I think that Blue has really discovered some depth to Ronan that she suspected was there, but this is a real you know, trial by fire moment and she's really seeing him come through for her in a way that maybe she didn't necessarily know he would or trust that he would. And I think it's connection as well because this is a real moment for them, right? It's a really powerful Mm. moment where he is showing her that they're connected, like they're family, basically. Yeah. It reminds me of myself (laughs) because... I often have this very bad trait where I am a mean person. I am, well, no, I am just very honest and very truthful in the way that Ronan is. Like, I use the truth as a weapon to hurt people a lot of the time. And often my defense for that would be, but I know I'm self-aware. So it's fine. Like, Mm. you know, it's fine. I know I'm terrible. I know I'm a horrible person. I know I'm hurting people, but it's okay because I'm self-aware. And I love that (laughs) Ronan here is like, no, he replied, really, I am. Because it's that self-awareness being like, actually... Yeah. That's fine. But like you said before, he has this real softness to them. He's, he's actually a really kind person. And I I have often been described this way as well. People be like, mm. oh, you act like you're so tough and you're so mean. But actually, for the people that you care about, you do things for them all the time. And yeah. I would do the same thing. I would give my ghost light to my friend and sit there in the dark. And the moments where it's really mattered, even when the things really scared me, I've always been able to step up and be there for yeah. my friends yeah. and make that move. I don't think I will necessarily change my behavior in the way that I am. Like, I know that there are problematic things to the way that I behave, but it's okay because I'm self-aware. <laughs> but going forward, <laughs> I think maybe just be a bit more aware of when you are wielding your weapons, but don't miss opportunities to be kind and don't miss opportunities to let people tell you that you matter to them and that they value you because often I'm very dismissive of that and the way that Ronan is here and I think sometimes we just mm. need to be open to that kind of love so yeah yeah oh I love that <laughs> and I love that you're mean because yeah. I know that if you're like you make it so easy if if you're in with you it's so much easier than if I were trying to figure out if someone who's nice to me actually likes me I'm like but you're nice to everybody and I mean, and when you're in with me, you're just in with me. Like, I'm not going to drop you. So you never have to worry about, mm. like, once I've accepted you into my fold, you know, you're in. So yes, I'm yeah. mean to you, but I love you. That's why I'm mean to you. If I didn't care about you, I would be completely horrible and indifferent. So <laughs> anyway, that's me. Aww. Yay, therapy. Well, um, <laughs> what was your in-depth marginalia? Um, so mine is on page 369. It's just after that when she is... She's sort of registering that she's crossing this mirror lake. She's leaving Ronan safely on the other side. She's she's left him in the dark, but she's also aware that it's really unfair that she's having to do this on her own. Mm. So on page 369, she wished so much for the presence of the boys or Kala or her mother or she had so many people that she took for granted all the time. She never she had never needed to be truly afraid before. There had always been another hand to catch her or at least to hold hers as they fell together. Mm. So I just want to. I just want to point out that Blue needed to make this discovery alone. Like, she had to go and find her mother alone without the benefit of her community. But it was her connection to the community around her that gives her the strength to do this on her own. She's always had so much love and care that she can take it for granted. 
and that is a powerful gift. It's something that I believe everyone should be able to experience, honestly, to know that no matter what, there will be someone falling with you or catching you by the hand if you fall. Mm. Um, so I was trying to think of the other text that another text that it linked to. And the book that kept popping up in my head was Casper Turkile's book, The Power of Ritual. And he talks about how ritual itself is really important. But like at the heart of all of that book, it's like the communities we make through the rituals that we mm. honor. And that's what I think is happening with Blue. Like the communities form bonds around the rituals we share together. And it just made me really appreciate the communities that I belong to. And it also kind of had gave me a minute to pause and say like, what communities have I been letting myself fall out of? What do I want to strengthen? Um, what are the rituals I cherish? Um, is there any community that I feel like I would like to belong to? You know, it's kind of gave me a bit of a, a pause to assess. So I think going forward, I just want to remember that even though we can't do everything in community, we can't do anything on our own. Not really. The community that we find and cultivate will become the strength that we draw on to be able to survive challenges like the one that Blue is facing here. So my call to action is to find and strengthen your connections to the community around you. Do good recklessly, love wholeheartedly, care even when it's inconvenient, um, but do that because it makes you strong and wise to do that. Oh, how lovely. Yeah. Communities are amazing. And whatever way you find that community, right, whether it's found family or interest-based, like, you know, whatever you need, having people who... Yeah. I think are they to catch you when things go wrong but also I think who notice when things are starting to go wrong because I think that's something we miss a lot of in the way we live our modern lives the segregated mm. sort of segmented way we live our lives sometimes at work you know someone won't be in and we won't know why and so it's like 3 p.m and you're like have you seen this person do we need to call someone do we need yeah, to alert yeah. a partner yeah what if they got hit on by a car on the way to work you know how would we know how would we know? You just wouldn't. So that's the thing that I think community is so powerful with as well, to be able to to pick up those signs too. Yeah. I mean, if we're all holding hands all of the time, then there are less holes in the net for someone to slip through, right? Like it yeah. just, and sometimes, look, I'm not saying it's going to be like a perfect utopia. Like sometimes it is really hard to be in community with people because you have to deal with people and people can Who be Who are the worst. The worst. Yeah. Always, not can be, always the worst. <laughs> but it is also worth it when you are really failing in something and you can just be like, guys, help. And they're like, oh, yeah, of course, we've got you. Yeah. Because you know that when they need help, even though you'll be there. they suck sometimes, you'll be there for them. Like, that's it's mm. part of living. I think just as like a tiny aside, one of the maxims that I really took to heart when I started like thinking about having kids was good attachment parenting is good detachment parenting. And the idea is basically that you provide like such a stable base for your kid that they're fearless and they don't have to take, they can take your love completely for granted and your support for granted because you always provide it. Um, and that has like actually not been hard to do. Just mm. like love your kids as for like for who they are and tell them that and show them that. Like, I mean, it seems complicated, but it actually is not. But I think about that and like my friendships as well. Like sometimes it's like, yeah, I actually just need to just love this person into being who they are. Yeah. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. And that's like, you know, sometimes I'll talk to my friends and they'll be like, man, your friends are just... And I'm like, they're fine. I love my friends. They're fine. Yeah. Like, sometimes some of them are difficult, but I'm also difficult and we just love each other through it anyway. Like, I don't expect yeah. my friends to ever be anything other than the way that they are. And there will be natural ebbs and flows to that, but we've always got each other's backs and that's all that matters. Yeah. 
And also, like, if your friend's not being difficult ever, then are you really friends with them? Because I feel like in every relationship, there should be a little bit of conflict. So that, like, because that means you're being vulnerable and being yourself more. Yeah. When it's perfect, it's like, I'm very suspicious of that. I'm like, hmm, how well do you know them? I really struggle, as you know, with superficial relationships where it's all surface level. And I'm always like, oh, it's the small talk relationships. Can't do it. <laughs> Can't do it. Just just do what I do and overshare and complicate everything by being like, we're best friends. Here's everything about my last period. <laughs> just Amazing. make it awkward for everyone. <laughs> um, well, do you have a character you'd like to spotlight for this week? I am spotlighting my boy Ronan Lynch for sitting in Yay. the dark. What a lad. I love him. I love everything about him, as per usual. <laughs> I'm glad you spotlight Ronan because I was I couldn't choose between him and Blue. So now that you've spotlight Ronan, yeah. I can say Blue because she Excellent. had to deal with like, hey, here's my birth father and here's my mom who's alive. And also, oh my God, everyone is dying and possibly being crushed in a cave and I have to get them out. And why is this person still shooting at me? Like she had to do so much and also be afraid and also deal with her feelings about being part of Ronan's family. So, Honestly, the chaos yeah. of that chapter. <laughs> so much is happening. Oh, so much is happening. Poor Blue. Oh my gosh. Um, should we do the book wrap up? Yep, we should. All right. So let's take a few minutes to reflect on the major theme of connection and talk about what we learned. I mean, I just think found family always a great time i think the connections we find and make with each other can really change our priorities like i said before mm -hmm. like we really see that with adam we see the way that he's changed through his connection to the gangsy but also with persephone with caves water like these connections that mm. we make change the way we view the world and even gansey in a way the way he's approached things you know he's he's changed his approach to like blue but also these secret secret meetings that he's having all over school you know he's like yeah He's making compromises and changes and, you know, connection is not a static thing. It's also not something that you can take for granted. We have to work at our connections. You have to tend them. And um, Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why I kind of love Cade's Water as a, a metaphor for connection because it's a living thing. It's a forest, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. It grows and changes and it also has needs. And if it's starved of the thing that it needs, it can't grow and it can't appear. It withers yeah. if neglected or if its resources are stolen. Yeah, and as you just mentioned in your in-depth, you know, the connection is this thing that empowers us to do the hard things, but also being a thing that can save us. Like, I just kept thinking back to Kavinsky in the last book and how Gansey was like, you know, we matter. And I think we just see more of that in this book. It's the connections that catch us, that one mm. allow us to do the difficult things, but is there to pick us up afterwards as well. Yeah. I wonder if that's a good way to reframe Gansey's apparent snobbishness as being like, but we matter to each other. Like, yeah. Not we matter in general, because everybody's important. Everybody's worthy of yeah. respect and care. And But yeah, we matter to each other. It's Kavinsky has no one, right? Like he, like Adam thinks of himself, you know, Adam Parrish, army of one. But Kavinsky literally was just by himself. He dreamt himself a mate. Like, he yeah, had no one just, to catch him. Yeah, if, if all you have are your dreams to sustain you, it's not actually tenable, is it? Yeah. I think that Adam's connection is really important especially in this book where we're seeing him learn how to work with himself um, mm. and not just like for himself. He's swallowing his pride and he's like really putting the community first, like putting the gang first, I guess. And it's really hard for him because he's always thought that he was alone. Like you said, like Adam Parrish, army of one, but like connecting better with himself and with the ley line, it's helping him to become 
a better person. And like the direct opposite of this is is Persephone, right? Like she cared so much about her community that she didn't look after herself. Yeah. Like she didn't she didn't look into herself. She she didn't look into like what made her her and she was just searching for more and she didn't actually keep that tether to herself whereas Adam's problem is the opposite which is like he's so into his own head and he's so in his own brain and mind that he has trouble looking outward so like I think it's really interesting that Persephone losing her tether and like drifting away is what kind of gives Adam this jolt to like wait a second I need to be out of my head but not so far away that I can't come back Mm. Mm. yeah there's something really interesting there I also love that Blue's connection to this this quest for Glendower is revealed. Like, mm. she, she's been part of it all along, and I love that we get to see that. I love that it's actually, like, shown and drawn for us that, you know, the red-handed woman and her father being the person who put Gwenclean in the Shilgrave. Like, this is all, this was all meant to have happened. This was always going to be like this. It's so beautiful to think that it was, I don't know, foreordained. Yeah, the connection of that, right? Mm. the way we want things to be connected the way we're always looking for meaning in everything that we do as we said you know earlier we are searching Mm. for meaning all of the time yeah humans are meaning making machines it's like the whole the whole reason that the word why was invented and what is that if not what is that if not connection right (laughs) yeah yeah exactly um Another bit of connection I really loved is Adam and Ronan's connection deepening over the course of this book. They're, yep. as you've pointed out many times, they're a pair. They're Adam mm. and Ronan, Ronan and Adam. They're together all the time. They're like two units, but they're one unit on their own. Um, and like, I love that they're f- thrown together, whether it's like implicating a murderous Latin teacher or buying <laughs> hygiene materials for a 600 year old cave woman. Like, they're just doing all of this stuff together. And you get to see it. You also get to see that Ronan is like kind of tired of of Adam not getting it, that they are actually moving forward, that they have this deeper connection to magic. I don't know. I love that. Yeah. And Gansey's connection to time, it's much more profound in this book, the sense that he's running out of time. Like, we do, I feel like last book you get a few little like twinkling ideas, but this book it's like, so here's, we're going to lay it on really thick that he is running out of time. Mm. And, it's, but it's just nice to see how like over the series it's building to this crescendo. Also, the connection between Blue and Gansey really deepening in this book as well, mm. right? I was trying not to say it because I know I'm a huge bluesy stan, but oh, they're bluesy. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. you brought it up. <laughs> Do you have a best marginalia from the whole book? I know it's hard to choose, but go on. All right. Um, I thought about this for a while. I think the one I'm going to go with is page 132. It was distinctly less satisfying to restore something than it had been to grow it. And this mm. is where Gansey is um, rebuilding his knocked down scale model of or not scale model cardboard model of Henrietta it's the model village competition uh I I just I just love that he's restoring it even though it's not as satisfying because sometimes doing the drug the drudge work of like okay messed up gotta fix this gotta mend this it does suck but also it is so much better to have it like resolved than throwing the baby out with the bathwater and starting yeah totally um how about you? Did you have a whole book favorite marginalia? I did. And it is when Adam is at the court for his father's trial. And he says, what a lie unknowable was. 
the only person who didn't know Adam was himself. Page 296. I think this is such a turning point for Adam, the fact that he felt like he had to do this alone. And then in the moment, he's like, oh, why did I bother trying to hide this? Like, Gansey and Ronan already know everything there is to know. It's yeah. such a beautiful moment. And I think just, again, always a call to take the help when it's there. People are willing to help. Let them. Yeah. It's awful and terrible being vulnerable, but I think people are more tender with you than you would be with yourself, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're not, bin them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of hard, but like... Yeah. You gotta put yourself out there to know if someone's gonna come along with you. Agreed. So, whole character, whole book character spotlight, rather. Who would you like to spotlight? Uh, for me, it's Blue. It's her book. It's her book. It's her coming to terms with her feelings for Gansey and understanding that she wants to kiss him even though it'll kill him. And being able to just live in the space where she knows that he's going to die but she wants to spend that time with him anyway like i love it and also she gets to go and rescue her mom which is like the dream of every kid who has a mom in trouble there were Mm. times when i really wish i could have fixed my mom's life for her so i love that blue actually gets to like live out this this hope for all of us who have moms who you know you just want to help them so it's blue um who's your whole book character spotlight i'm spotlighting Adam Parrish, Army of One, for finally realizing that he doesn't have to be Army of One. I think Adam has wonderful character development in this book. Um, I love that he is learning and trusting and observing Ronan more. I love that deepening connection, as you've already mentioned. He's learning things about himself. He's asking for help. He's realizing that he actually doesn't want to get rid of Cape's water. Why would he want to do that? I just... Yeah. I really enjoy the journey he goes on and... How he's being kinder to himself in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Accepting help from people who love you is a kindness to yourself. And we all deserve to accept that love and help. Exactly. Well, that's it for season 10. Mm. Thank you, our listeners, for reading and listening along with us as we tackle Blue Lily, Lily Blue by Maggie Stiefvater. And stay tuned for more. Yeah. Um, So we're taking a short break because you're going away. But it'll only be like a couple weeks in real time because we're very organized. Uh, but we're going to do a rerun for our one shot. Mm-hmm. We're going to do The Fall by Tarsem Singh, which is a great film. It was our first ever one shot. It's a film we both love. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Stars the incredibly gorgeous Lee Place. Um, so, yeah. Oh, he just gets better and better as time goes on. It is so unfair how handsome he is. It should be he is so handsome. And yeah, his amazing arms on full display for most of the film, which is 10 out of 10. And yeah, then next season, we're going to be reading Anyway the Wind Blows through the theme of expectations. Cannot wait. Oh my gosh. And it's a chunky book. I think it might be our biggest book. Wow, really? No, maybe Strange the Dreamer was bigger, but it's pretty chunky. Look at that. It's, it's a big boy. That first. I'm really excited. Once we get through the first third, it'll be fine. All the emo-ness <laughs> is done. We can move on with our lives. Yes. Oh, well, thank you so much for spending 10 weeks with this book and me, Jen. I love you, and I'm so glad we take the time to do this. Oh, I love you too, and I love these characters, and it's always a delight to go back to Henrietta, so cannot wait to return to our carry-on, babes. I know. I am so excited for when we record. I have, like, surprises. I'm ready. Ooh. I'm going to show you all of my, like, I'm going to decorate for it. I'm ready. It's going to be awesome. Amazing. (laughs) All right. Well... Have a lovely evening. (laughs) All right. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. 
We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 